Good evening, everyone. Please welcome to the stage uh, from Never Look Away cinematographer Caleb Deschanel, composer Max Richter, and writer and director Florian Henkel von Donnersmark. Thank you so much. Congratulations all on the film. Florian, I want to start by asking you, this story is heavily inspired by the life of uh, the artist Gerhard Richter, but it very pointedly doesn't use his name. So I was wondering, do you, do you see it as being a biopic or is it something else? No, no. I mean, it, it's just, you know, since there's one very strong, well, first of all, I want to say thank you very much for coming and it's a great honor to be here at, uh, at BAFTA. I was feeling very emotional being here again where there was um, a screening also of, of the lives of others when that first came out. So I'm, I'm very honored and happy that you came. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, um, it was, no, I, I, it's definitely not a biopic. I, I don't really, I, I have a little bit of a problem with the genre of biopics because I, I think it, you run into one of two problems. Either you stay uh, so true to the actual facts of someone's life that even if you have a good dramatic idea, oh, this could happen, you say, no, unfortunately, I can't do that. Uh, he didn't have a sledge called Rosebud or something, you know. <laughs> um, and, um, or, uh, you, or you veer so far from the facts that it's kind of unfair uh, to call it a biopic. So um, I think, you know, I, I, I think this was inspired by an element from, um, uh, from Gerhard Richter, no relation to Max. Uh, to his, um, to, from Gerhard Richter's life, but that's, you know, that's pretty much it. From time to time, I took a few more elements um, to, so the story was this, uh, there, there was a, there's a very famous painting, which is important in, in German art appreciation, and it, it was a picture of, um, of a very nice young girl holding a little baby in her arms. And uh, this is a painting by Gerhard Richter based off a picture from his family album. And he explained this was his aunt. And this aunt, shortly after this photograph was taken from which he painted the picture, she was, uh, she was murdered by the Nazis because she was schizophrenic. Uh, they had this program where they eliminated anything that didn't fit into their idea of building the master race with, uh, with uh, those genes. And uh, hundreds of thousands of people were killed even in that program, which is, you know, pales, of course, in comparison to the later, greater crimes against uh, the Jewish people. And so, you know, it's not spoken of, but it's yet another crime that the, uh, that the Nazis committed. And um, it was, um, so this was a big tragedy in, um, in Richter's life, um, in, the, in the life of his family. What a journalist, uncovered, and this was just a spectacular uncovery in, uh, I think, 2004 or so. He wrote a piece about Gerhard Richter and found out that after the war, Richter married a young woman of whom there are many beautiful paintings. And with her, he had a child of whom there are also many beautiful paintings. And the f unbeknownst to all of them, the father of this girl had been a high-ranking SS doctor um, who had been the head of the clinic where, um, where Richter's aunt had been forced sterilized. And it was kind of, I, 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 um, I met this journalist, and 
just by chance, he was, I had an interview with him about something completely different. I, he was a very interesting man, and I started talking, he told me about this project, and I thought, wow, that sounds so interesting, because um, this, this could be like the perfect duel between, uh, you know, imagine a young artist living under the same roof as the person who created the very trauma that propelled him to become an artist, and now can he use these, his artistic intuition to defeat this man who's so much richer and more powerful and more intelligent and all that. And I thought, this is, and then, and then he sent me his book, and you know, as so often the reality, I mean, it was a beautifully researched book and everything, but the reality was just a little disappointing. You know, it was, Richter had never known his aunt. Uh, uh, you know, he'd never done these pictures that I imagined that he did to intuit it all. Uh, you know, he, he may very well have known about the fact that uh, there was some uh, connection. Um, you know, it's, and I thought, well, I'm not a documentarian. You know, I can do whatever I want. Why don't I make the film about the story that I think is more truthful somehow, you know, um, and, 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 and have it contain much more than just the story of one life with all of its coincidences. Um, and so I used this starting point, this inspirational point, and developed the story and then when I, uh, when, when, when I had it all in my head what I wanted to tell, I thought, you know what would be really interesting to kind of fully um, intertwine fiction with reality would be to get some more details from Gerhard Richter. Maybe, you know, he, he's pretty extreme in his pictures. You know, he does, he does uh, he'll take a photograph that he finds interesting of a tourist being mauled by lions and will just make a painting of that because he's, he's that kind of person. Maybe he'll like this approach. And I wrote to him just out of the blue. I didn't, uh, you know, not through a, any connections or something. I just wrote him and said, I have an idea for a film uh, that has to do with you in some indirect way. Would you be game for a meeting? And um, I thought, you know, I'd just throw the story at him and he'd tell me, well, look, this is where you're completely crazy or, you know, this is amusing, but what does this have to do with me? But he, I, you know, liked the idea and uh, we had a good time talking. I ended up staying with him for several weeks and recorded um, you know, uh, dozens of hours of conversations with him. Uh, in the end, we traveled to Dresden to all the places of his childhood. And um, it, was, it was a very enriching, great experience and allowed me to take elements from you know, factual little details that make something real and put them into this, um, into this screenplay. So you know, in a way, there's, there's through that extra time that I got to spend with him, that um, there's more of him in there than there would otherwise be. But it's a, it's a fiction, you know. Given, Caleb, given the pivotal importance of the, the mother and child painting that, um, that Florian mentioned, the, the exhibition at the end of the film is, I mean, there's, there's a big autobiographical resonance in there, even if uh, I think Kurt isn't fully aware of it at the time. And also, it's, it's, it's heavily inspired by photographs. So to what extent were you looking at Richter's early paintings and thinking, OK, so there's something I can use here in, in depicting his early life uh, that, that will lead the story to that moment where he's then able to, to put that into his own art? Wow. Um, well, you know, I mean, for me, you know, discovering something artistically, it's, it's almost as if you know, what he discovers about his father-in-law is kind of the same as the process of him discovering his art. I mean, I think to me, you know, whenever we do something, there's a certain mystery to it that, um, you know, that we're not really aware of what its origins are, or where it comes from. And I think the thing that I loved about the movie and, and Florian came to me before he actually wrote the script and approached me and, and literally spent 
you know, three and a half hours telling me this story over <laughs> breakfast one morning, and by the time he was done, I was just you too know, exhausted totally, to say no. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was so drawn <clears throat> in by the story because, you know, to me, it sort of rest, represented that that kind of mystery of, you know, where it is that what we do and where those things come from. That, you know, I, I mean, I always find it sort of amazing that, that you can actually create something and it's something that you've done and yet you can feel as if it came from some mysterious place and you can, you can actually like it without being egotistical about it because you don't really quite know where it comes from. And I always felt like, you know, the, the journey in making this movie was always discovering those things, you know, in, in each moment of the movie and how to light it and how to shoot it and where to put the camera that, you know, that somehow captured the emotions that were in each one of the scenes and, and in the whole movie. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, well, it's, it's the idea that, you know, a lot of... Um artist biopics, they lean very hard into this idea that we have to recreate this artist's vision in the way that we're going to shoot this. But I think the interesting thing about Richter, and it's, it's reflected in the, the film's German title, is that there's a sense that the authorial stance isn't quite as obvious as it might be in another artist's work. Even it's, it's maybe it's, it's in there, but he's not deliberately imprinted it on what's there. Well, I think that's kind of what I was saying in, in the sense that it's, it, you know, you really don't know who the author is of your, your work when you've created something that's truly, you know, uh, I, I mean, I think when you create something that's like very intellectual and you've done research and you, you know, put things together, you know, it's like Florian was saying, it's like, you know, there's all these details that you could tell a wonderful story that would be a documentary about a character. But, but in reality, to get to the, the sort of essence of what it is that, that evolved into his creative spirit, you need to go deeper and, and find something that's much more mysterious. And, you know, I think, I think Florian, you know, was able to capture that in this movie. And, um, you know, it's, it's uh, I mean, it's, it's still, you know, even, even the movie in its complete form is still a mystery to me. I mean, there's still, you know, aspects of this movie that still affect me really emotionally. And, uh, you know, even though, you know, I was there every day and it was part of my life for such a long period of time, it still has this mystery to it that, that you know, like, I don't know, like anything that's kind of mystical in a way that, that somehow reaches down into your psyche and, and, and affects you emotionally. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's a rarity and I feel lucky to have worked on this movie. Max, I gather you were involved an early stage on, on this, or you, you, you at least saw the screenplay quite early on? Uh, not really, no. Um, I saw... I, I told him that this morning. <laughs> <laughs> no, I... I uh, Florian, so you're admitting it. Florian showed me... Um, I sent him the screenplay. <laughs> yes, you did send it to me. And then me. we had a conversation where I always had the suspicion that you hadn't actually read it. Um, <laughs> but you never actually read. confirmed it to me. I hadn't um, read all of it. I had read some of it. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> you, you insist on embarrassing the bags in front of the song. <laughs> okay, let me, let me rephrase this question. Of, of what you had read at that point, what yeah. was it about, um, uh, about the life of Kurt that you, I mean, was it the, what Caleb was saying that you know, this idea that you can, you can intellectualize creativity all, all you like, but ultimately it's coming from somewhere deeper. I mean, was that something that resonated about this or was it something else? Well, um, 
I mean, the big thing, I think, um, that drew me to the project um, was the, the questions it sets up, really. Um, Kurt's creative work is a, is a way to define himself and to discover himself and to discover how to live. You know, and that fundamentally, that's always, that's something that creativity does, you know, for people who, who work creatively. And, and I think for everyone, actually, there is this sense of uh, using creative work as a way to kind of navigate from A to B through life. Um, and I think the, that has a sort of strong gravitational pull in the film. Uh, so the film struck me as having very fertile questions in it that I wanted to sort of spend time with. Uh, and that's really what made me want to be involved. Given the, the different scale of the questions, I mean, you've got the, the very intimate stuff about, um, about Kurt's, um, well, first his relationship with his aunt and mm. the, the, the way in which that sparks his creativity and then obviously his, his domestic situation. And the, but you also have this expansive historical backdrop how do you, you, you kind of balance the scale of that? Because I, I think the, that kind of, I mean, it's like a, a four-note motif that you've got you to, to introduce um, Gart as a character mm. is so kind of tiny and perfect, um, but then it seems to encompass so much as well. So how, how did you kind of land on, on that specifically as, 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 as being, you know, this is, this is, these four notes are going to stand for somehow everything here? Well, um, God, this is really interesting. I, I want to hear the yeah. this. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think... Uh, my process is is um, is a mixture of sort of lots of conceptualization and blind luck. Um, so so really, you know, obviously there's a lot of sort of ideas behind what's going on, but ultimately, really, what I'm looking for is I'm looking for that quality of the material to start to take on a kind of intentionality sort of gravitational field. Um, you know, in the way that novelists talk about their characters suddenly doing things they weren't expecting them to do. That's really what I'm looking for in, in some musical material. Um, and that, that really is something which can only happen in real time, sort of in contact with the images and the story. Um, and it, has a, it really is very experimental and very sort of tactile kind of process. Um, so it's really about trying to find things that feel, in retrospect, as though they were inevitable, even though you spent ages searching for them. So it's that sort of quality of inevitability, mm -hmm. um, and that, that is something which, for me personally, I, I sort of arrive at experimentally. Did the, does that make any sense? It, no, it does, it does. And I'm wondering <laughs> if the, the multiple bus horns at all resonated as just, you know, this kind of, the ultimate artistic experience, the purest artistic experience can just be this kind of bombardment of one tone. Right. If, I mean, did that The bus of, horns, yeah. yeah. The bus horns are great, yeah. I mean, that's amazing, that, that, that sequence. Um, yeah, we, we actually, uh, we had some bus horns and we changed the bus horns, didn't we? we I mean, the, we worked for a very, very long time on the bus yeah. horns, but what I found always so interesting in um, working with Max is uh, Max is incredibly um, is a great thinker, but then he will throw all that overboard 
and emotion always trumps. It's, mm. it's, it's really interesting. I saw that again, for example, with the bus horns. I remember that you said when we first did the spotting session and then um, said, you know, it would be really great. There's going to be no music until the bus horns. And that's almost like the signal that brings the, brings the, uh, brings it. It, it sounded perfect, made complete sense in all the spotting. And then we watched it and you said, we need music over the bus drive before. <laughs> and, and, you know, there was no intellectual reason to put music there. It mm. made perfect sense. But then Max created this very beautiful, childlike, uh, you know, the world can still be perfect uh, music uh, for that moment. And it mm. just flowed so much better. And, uh, and I, I felt that was again and again. And, you know, that... And, and sometimes it was, I remember when I first heard that, it was not four notes, it's six notes, the kind of the Kurt motif. And when I first heard it, when he walks to the factory... Mm. I thought, okay, what this is what the great Max Richter came up with, you know. And I was really, I thought, oh goodness, you know, this is going to be the first Max Richter score I'm not going to be crazy about. And then, um, and then, and then, Max, uh, and then Max just wait, and you know, and he develops those six notes into something ever increasingly beautiful, and that really has then a deep message. I think that you feel on a subconscious level that, you know, in a way, the simplicity of life becomes to the many layers that come with time and with suffering, and using elements from the dark scenes, kind of layering to always make this theme more beautiful until, in the end, it's so symphonic and so satisfying and so rich. And that kind of, um, it's, it's, uh, you know, I, I, I think. Um, I, I, I found it. I found very inspiring to see someone like you do use their intellect so much, and but always at the service of emotion. And uh, I, 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 I can listen to this score. I mean, I, was, I mean, this this theater has magnificent sound. I really must say, uh, it, and and it was now it was really like listening to it on the um, you know it, at Air Lindhurst again, mm. and uh, and it was just. But I can listen to this so often, and I, I get emotional every time from the uh, from the music. So it's uh, it, it's it's a great story, score. I think. I think also in terms of that process, that slow accrual of inspiration, like it's not just a lightning strike, but it's yes. one thing layered on top of the other. That comes through incredibly powerfully in the sequence towards the end of the film where Kurt is, uh, he kind of lands on his, uh, the, 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 the photo painting style in the first place. Um, and you know, it's only while I think you're, you're halfway through it that you realize you're watching a great idea taking shape. Mm. Really interesting how that film, that, that sequence was to shoot, given well, the, absolutely the key role of light in it. You know, that, that was always hanging <laughs> over us. Oh, and it was, you know, towards the end of the filming, because it was done in Dieseldorf, where he goes to the, you know, the last academy where he's studying and uh, sort of develops who he is. And I was always really worried about it, because it's, it's one of these sequences that needs so many details to tell the story and you have to get them just right to sort of you know get the evolution of what the understanding is and, and you know and, and something that shouldn't get lost in the whole thing is that yeah it's a lot of painting and you know you're, you're always worried that it's going to be people are going to comment oh it's like watching paint dry or something really <laughs> terrible which you know they could say about a movie like this but it was you know, it was really sort of amazing to see Kurt's, you know, performance, Tom Schilling's performance there, because, you know, you think of it a lot of like the painting and everything, but if you really go back and look at that scene, it's really all developing in this character, and he's giving this amazing performance. It's totally silent and totally involved in the painting as a real painter, and he became a very good painter in the course of making the movie. 
And I have to say, when I finally saw it together with Max's score and everything, I was just so blown away by it because it was like everything that I sort of hoped that, that it would become. And, yeah, that, that, and that, it's that. so important. It's such a, a key moment in the movie, you know, for telling the story and, and, you know, sort of rises to the level of sort of almost mystical, uh, you know, discovery on the part of the artist. And I, I, but it was, you know, it was hard work just from the point of view of just, I, I, I don't know how many pieces are in there, but there's, there's hundreds and hundreds of shots. And every one of those shots is really key to taking you to the next step and the next step and the next step till you finally make the discovery with the artists in yeah. the movie. I mean, in terms of lighting it, because something I really loved is the, the way in which the, the mother and child picture's been re redone for the, for the film from, from Richter's original, is that you have this, this kind of almost a, a finger that becomes an accusatory finger when the, uh, when the father-in-law's image appears alongside. Now, when you're layering the images like that, are you using the same technology that Richter would have used at the time? I mean, is it just purely down to the, uh, the projector and the the shutters that you opening and closing on? I mean, it, you know, I mean, it was technically very tricky because you had to have sunlight and then replace with the projector and get the exact, you know, exposures right and all this, and then the wind and, you know, there was a wonderful. <laughs> I, Florian will will hate me because I always said we should keep it a secret, but the scene <laughs> when you first are introduced to the adult Kurt. We were filming in this field, and he's up in a tree, and it just happened to be a day with this incredible wind, mm. you know, that was blowing, and it was it was sort of a, a real godsend in the sense that it it it's, it it both introduces him as an adult, it also suggests this sort of mystery that is is his creativity also his insanity, you know, and does he have the same insanity as his aunt, you know, who mm. was taken away by the Nazis and killed and. You know, is there a relationship between you know artistic creativity and insanity and all this stuff? And then what was written in the script was the scene where the wind picks up and blows when he is then inspired to become the artist that he becomes. And when the wind blows, it starts blowing these shutters back and forth. And you know, it was really it was a very complex you know dance, you know, with light and dark and shadow and it was really and you know when it when it pays off the way it does, you know, with the combination of the the editing and the the images and you know Tom's performance and Max's music, it's just it's it's really thrilling. Um, yeah, and, and you know what what I found so um, really unique about working with Caleb, I mean many things, but what I think the the central thing is Caleb um, creates this unbelievable light and is a um, master of getting the images right in a way that you couldn't move them by a little bit and you know it, it would it would be wrong if you changed anything. But at the same and, and of course there's always a large technical crew. Uh, I mean a complicated scene like that scene 136 that nightmare scene with the wind <laughs> blowing and all the projections and all that was so incredibly hard to shoot. And uh, but. You know, the great thing is, I mean, the, the most important thing that, of course, I as a director always have to do is to make sure that all these technical things never get in the way of the actor feeling that he can act 100%. And the great thing is that that's Caleb's central focus also. And that made it, that made it um, into such a phenomenally satisfying 
um, collaboration is um, uh, to, to have a director of photography who always puts the actors first. I mean, that is, that, that's really very special. I think it, it also has to do with the fact that uh, Caleb is married to a wonderful actress, to Mary Jo Deschanel, and has two wonderful actresses as daughters, um, Emily and Zoe. And uh, I, I think, you know, I, I've never met another director of photography who has this incredible understanding of the um, centrality of the art of acting. And, uh, and, and, and so, you know, in a way... My family wouldn't let me. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, so it was just, mm -hmm. we, had, we really had a great atmosphere on set because of that, because if, if, the, if, the, um, if, the, um, if the DP and the director are completely aligned on that, uh, then nothing can come between that. You know, that's, uh, and, and, and that, that was, so I, th I think we really managed at all times to have an atmosphere where the, uh, where the actors and we felt completely just uh, safe to explore uh, the idea that we were going for and where the technical things never were at the, at the forefront. Um, if you open this to questions from the, from the audience, if you've got something to ask, please raise your hand. Uh, start there and the microphone just coming down. Um, Sorry, my German's really rusty. It was um, work without author, right? And you translated it to never look away, and I'm I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that. Well, Lovely film, by the way, but I thought I'd ask you a stupid question. Yeah, Sorry. it's um, so originally I wanted to call the. I mean, I like the English title better. Um, uh, it, it's it's originally I wanted that as the German title, but um, in German, that Sie niemals weg sounds. I mean, German is, can be a harsh-sounding language, and it sounds like a really tough command. You know, it sounds like you better not look away or else. You know, that's what it sounds like if you say "zinimas weg." It just there's no way of making that sound like the the gentle exhortation that it can be in English. And so um, I um, I then um, you know, I, I uh, decided to go for um, to use that as the subtitle. And Take is the main title, another one that I've been thinking about, uh, which was a term invented for this, for, for, for the type of artist, also for someone like Richter, um, who would say, you know, well, these, are just, these are just snapshots I find, you know, in a family album, doesn't even have to be my own family album, or I find them in a magazine somewhere, and, you know, I take a passport photograph of someone I don't even know, which of course is all obfuscating and, and completely untrue. Um, but the art historians kind of ate it up and said, uh, well, you know, I mean, it's kind of like, uh, it, it, it's, it's almost like automatic painting, you know, it's a, a, a body of work without an author. And in a way, my, my thesis here would be that mm, art is um, always completely 100% um, biographical and the, and, 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 and it cannot be um, any different. And at the same time, I like it. Also, goes a little bit towards what Caleb was saying that if uh, you know, if, if if you do it right in a work of art, you're not the author of it. You're you're not you're not kind of the creator of it. You're more like a more like a midwife or something like that. You know, you 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 don't you're just someone facilitating something that had to be, and it's not you know you're not the Tarzan kind of making it. Um, and, uh, and, and so I, I always like titles that have multiple layers, but in the end, I think the German title turned out also to be a little too complicated. People just didn't get it. And, um, I, I'm, and, and so I was happy 
that in English, never look away sounds, sounds better. Mm. And, um, and even in some other languages, they went for a translation of the English title. Mm. Mm. And also, there's another problem with work without author is the word work in English, the first connotation that you have is not work as in oeuvre, but it's work as in hard work. And author, the first thing you think of is not the originator. You know, you think of the guy writing. So in a way, a faulty association would be something like you know, originator without writer or something. And that just, I didn't want that either. So. Go up here, yeah. Thank you very much. I really, really enjoyed that. Um, I was wondering about the actual art that you used in the Dusseldorf um, scenes. Is it based, was it done originally, or was it based on people that were his contemporaries, all the other artists, like the yeah. guy who, with the felt and the lard or yeah. whatever? I mean that, yes, so um, all that art, I mean, we had, um, we had many art historians working with us. We had um, you know, people who had experienced that even, even all the extras, all the students were all painting students from those actual academies. Um, and uh, so all this art is based, um, yes, on real art of that time, but it's not a direct replica, uh, but it just carries the spirit of that. But uh, I mean, the, the, the one that's the closest uh, to something actual exi actually existing is actually two things. This is the things done by the Professor Van Verten. That's very much based on Joseph Boyce's um, he, character. He was the great professor of monumental sculpture in Dusseldorf in, in the early 60s who, who had this thought that to, to really continue making art, there has to be a clean break with everything that came before in Germany. Um, and a break because, and, and, and he went so far as to say, of course, we have to eliminate content. Uh, because it's infected with whatever led to, you know, whatever was in Nazi Germany and in the things that were before, what led up to that. So obviously content has to be, but even craft we have to throw overboard because that might be infected too. And uh, so, he, um, so he really said just do what is completely personal to you. And, um, and, and it was born out of a, out of a real political and artistic necessity in Germany and was very, very attractive to people to say, okay, yeah, let's just start anew. Let's just do something completely new. And I think that this art became so influential because in a way that suddenly became attractive to the artists in uh, you know, New York or Paris or wherever also to say, okay, well, we may, might not have the same uh, necessity to part ways with everything from the past, but we can also benefit from it. And uh, so this movement in art um, in Germany from this, you know, nothing town of Dusseldorf suddenly became uh, very, very important. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, so it's, it's, all, it's all based on something, but, um, you know, n nothing's a direct, uh, direct replica. Uh, go for one more question. Um, I want to thank you for a very... Um, engrossing movie. I was oh. blown away by it. What I was found so was what I thought was so refreshing was the actual fact that it starts out like your average World War II Nazi persecution and then goes into something else. I wanted to ask you about the visual style of the film. I mean, there's some really, I mean, that beautiful effect shot of the planes dropping. Mm. I wanted to ask you more about the, I mean, how much of it was in terms of the old Dresden and all that, what remains of that old town and in terms of it, what did you recreate for visual effects? Oh yeah, yeah. That's it. That, that's real. I mean, w these things were real production challenges because 
yes, we had to somehow recreate the splendor of Dresden. We had to then show the destruction and the aftermath of the destruction, and then even some of the rebuilding. And I never wanted it to be, you know, the central thing. So it had to be almost as if uh, you had to show it as if nothing were, just in the background, so you not draw attention to it. Um, the so for Dresden, they rebuilt the first line um, at the river um, is rebuilt. Some of it not in a way that's, uh, that looks completely convincing. So what, um, what we did is um, Caleb shot um, buildings that were similar to the buildings that had been in Dresden before the destruction uh, that we found in Prague and um, I think some in Munich. And, uh, and then you know, we tried to get the angles right um, so that we would be able to position it in that shot. So in a way, we we um, we enriched uh, Dresden, not to be an exact replica, but to have that feeling of you know the Florence on the Elbe, as it was called, um, and to give us to give us good uh, good vantage points. And uh, then, yes, I mean for the um, for the destruction, I mean, we 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 tried to shoot as much real always. Uh, I have this superstition that over half of the image always has to be real. <laughs> uh, that, uh, that somehow, you know, otherwise there's something that you, digital that you'll latch onto um, and, and, and that'll take you out of the reality. What was really hard was the destroyed Dresden that, that um, we were thinking first of doing with models and did various experiments of, um, of, of doing little charred models that also didn't quite look right. And then by chance, we heard about this place in Poland, a uh, part of Poland that used to belong to Germany, Silesia, actually where my uh, my father's family is from, and uh, uh, so where an entire where uh, some crazy mayor a few years back had thought he wanted to build a fully modern town, and just started demolishing this town with a wrecking ball, and halfway through ran out of money, um, and. Uh, uh, and, and turned and, it into a movie set. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we turned it into a movie set. It was like it was the weirdest thing because this we had someone in the production design department tell us about this, and we couldn't believe it. Then they showed us pictures. We thought, well, you know, I mean, it, uh, with the right adaptations, we could we could turn it into something. And then um, our production designer and our team spent I think two months there. It was a really long time, uh, you know, um, creating the equivalent of these um, charred remains, removing all the weeds. Uh, rearranging the boulders, creating these 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 pathways through the rubble, um, and then we enhanced a little bit with. Uh, with, and, with and we had as there there actually a series of films made after the Second World War called rubble films. Oh yeah, they were filmed in you know Berlin and Munich mm -hmm. and various other places that had been destroyed, and they created these you know dramas around that. So you really got to see a lot of what it was like in yes. that period of time. And it became a really great reference for us in terms of people, you know, taking bricks and cleaning them off and, you know, the way roads were sort of formed between all the rubble and that kind of thing, so. Yeah, I remember we, 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 and we, there was even one one film we couldn't get, a, uh, there was no copy of it, and then we saw, we found a print of it, of uh, um, Germany Hour Zero, I think it was by Rossellini, wasn't it? Yeah, right. uh, mm. And um, and then we saw we went to the film museum and watched our whole crew watch this film. What it, I mean, it was a pretty strong but very depressing film about. Um, and uh, so we had a real sense of what this, what that looked like. We, you know, we, I, I felt a big responsibility, and I think all, certainly all of the German members of our crew uh, felt a big responsibility to and um, to 
towards our parents and grandparents' generation who'd lived through all that, you know, to somehow capture the, what it felt like. Um, and so uh, we, we spent a lot of time um, uh, researching that with somehow unhealthy pressure. <laughs> um, and, um, but it was, it was interesting. You know, how, how deep that is, I, the, when, uh, when I went to Cologne to see Gerhard Richter, that was at the beginning of January, and they still had, the, there's this project at the ride by train, um, and, uh, and in the central station, there was a, there's an annual project where they always have some amateurs do a nativity scene um, and put it kind of under glass in the central station. This time, a group of architects, retired architects, had created the nativity scene that year, and it was just a bombed out church, um, just a, a, a Cologne church that locals knew, um, it, how it looked when it was completely bombed out. So you, you, see, you saw just the charred remains of this church, but recognizable to people from Cologne. And then you had Mary Joseph, the Jesus and the uh, animals, you know, in the rubble in the middle of the church. And you had the three kings in their traditional garments coming, bringing them their, their offerings. And it was really interesting to see. I stood there, and it was such a powerful image. Um, and then I, and I stood there probably for about, you know, like half an hour and watched people come there, look at this, just stay there, and sometimes start crying. You know, everybody was struck by it. And you realize that this, um, this trauma of the entire country being bombed to bits and um, is still very much with people, even weirdly with people who maybe haven't directly experienced it. Because, uh, you know, a repressed trauma from a parent can, you know, that they don't talk about. And, and really, the, the, the grandparents, my grandparents' generation, they did not talk about that time. Because, you know, uh, if, if, if there were people who were guilty, they didn't talk about it because, well, there's obvious reason not to talk about it. If they were innocent, they didn't want to talk about it because they didn't want to hear from the younger generation, oh, yeah, well, you were all guilty. Um, and so there was a like, complete silence about that, um, about, about that chapter in history. And then things just get passed on. And uh, so I, I saw that there's really still something very deep in the German psyche associated with this bombing and this um, and actually, you know, I saw, we saw it also in the film, I'll tell you, in Germany, that scene of the bombing, I got into unbelievable trouble um, for this because um, people said, how can you, what was the argument? It was like, it, uh, how can you equate, this? so it was basically what our idea was to show from the child's perspective, um, show from the child's perspective, uh, just all this senseless suffering, you know, which to him is all, it's, it's just suffering. That's all it is. His classmates being bombed to bits, he doesn't understand the reason behind it. His aunt being murdered, he doesn't understand the reasons behind it. His uncle's being shot on the Eastern Front. Why is that, you know? Why is he, it, to him, it's just losing people he loves. And Max had this brilliant idea to say, let's use Hendel here, um, because he represents that, you know, German, English connection more than anyone else, except perhaps you, um, and, um, and 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 it was and, and it was really uh, I think of um, then we did something a little illegal to that music, and I we think did. it turned out into it turned really uh, really beautiful, um, and um, uh, in in Germany there was some people were outraged over the fact that you would that you would show the suffering of the perpetrators, the light, the Täter. 
because that's not done. Mm. And it's, I mean, those of you who know Germany a little bit will probably be able to find your way into that convoluted thought, but it's, um, it is, it, it, that, that, you know, it, it, um, every psychologist will tell you that one of the most unhealthy things is not acknowledge your own pain because you have uh, committed something that fills you with great guilt. I mean, it's like a perfect recipe for a messed up psyche. But that is, of course, exactly what happened with all of Germany. Uh, uh, understandably, no one wanted to hear about the suffering of the German people because they'd inflicted so much suffering on the world, uh, or so much suffering had been inflicted in the name of Germany. And so this, uh, this somehow got repressed. And here, suddenly, is a scene where you show the bombing at the same time as this you know, girl being uh, killed in their eugenics program, as the dying on the Eastern Front. And to, to equate suffering with suffering went against a German taboo and how this is being told. And people went crazy. You know, it was really interesting. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I knew there was going to be some of that. But um, uh, you know, I, uh, it, it, was, it, was very, it was very interesting to, uh, to observe that. You spoke oh. of a great German-English connection. We've had a great German-English connection here tonight, I think. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you.